thank you so much for your prayers and support over the years. Um, we're now involved with uh, all kinds of veteran organizations, Jewish war veterans and Vietnam veterans and the veterans of foreign wars. And God has uh, given me an accelerated program where uh, normally to become a chaplain at the Washington Crossing National Park, you have to be there for years and years and you have to submit all kinds of proposals, stand before a tribunal. And uh, somehow I got a phone call the next day with a chaplain, one of three men. And uh, we do memorial services at the park. Any Jewish families uh, who don't have a rabbi or anybody connected to a synagogue, I will do their ceremony. And we developed a very nice service, we believe, which proclaims the truth and doesn't deny, uh, without, uh, with a minimum amount of offense, we present the hope of God and Messiah Jesus using their prayer books and so on. So it's a lot of, a lot of uh, fun. Um, a, get, a day doesn't go by where uh, I don't have an opportunity to meet a new Jewish person and share my testimony with them, develop a relationship with them. And that's always a, a marvelous thing. We go out. Uh, I witness as I go. Uh, my primary ministry is just to be witnessing as I go, like you're supposed to. Uh, they pay me to be good. You guys got to be good for nothing. And um, and that's uh, what we do. Um, I want to share with you one, set, one testimony. It was a marvelous event. We have this memorial service. God bless America. If a soldier dies, Marine, Air Force, whatever, a veteran, somewhere in the Philadelphia, Chester County or Bucks County area, and they have no friend, no family, no neighbor, they die alone. The bodies show up at the cemetery with no ceremony, nobody to pay for it, nobody cares about them. Our country says they're not going to die alone. We're going to have a ceremony, 21-gun salute, bugle plays, and a preacher comes up and says words. And I'm the preacher that comes up and says the words. Normally, because nobody knows these people, um, the attendance is people from the community, a few motorcycle guys with flags and so on. Might be 25, 30 people show up. God bless their hearts. They pay their respects to these folks. Something happened last month. I have no idea what it was. They, they found a bunch of soldiers, in, indigenous soldiers, who had died in, in the morgues of Chester County. And then they went and found more in Bucks County. And they were so horrified by their neglected bodies that it got to the newspaper, the newspaper got a hold, and Brian Fitzpatrick found out about it, he was a congressman, and the next thing you know, instead of having 30 people, we had 300 people at the ceremony. Now, I got up there ready to preach my 30, and I saw 300 people, and it was um, a shock. So I rearranged the message a little bit, and to the and I'm, I'm a veteran, I'm there politically, I'm there militarily. They know I'm a Christian, they know I'm a Jewish believer, but they don't ask me to preach the gospel, but they don't stop me from preaching the gospel. And, uh, and in front of those 300 plus people, and most of whom are lost, I got you to talk to them about the bad news, the good news, and the hope we have in God. I said, God bless America, and so on and so forth. They said all the patriotic stuff. And in brief 10, 12 minutes, I preached the gospel. And Jewish people came up to me and thanked me as we've made testimony, as we've from more literature. So um, we praise the Lord, the words going forth. Thank you for your prayers and your support of this ministry for maybe close to 50 years. Bonnie, where are you? Uh, I don't see her. 
She may. How many years have I been coming out here? Do you know? Too many. Too many to tell. But, uh, you know, uh, so anyway, we thank God for your prayers. We thank God for your support and for the heritage of this church and its ongoing uh, ministry. Its best days, we believe, are ahead of her and uh, until the Lord Jesus comes. Let's pray. Father of God, we thank you for the word. And we pray, Lord, that um, as inept as I can be, your spirit will teach, guide, and direct, and give them a good time. And as I wander off externally, you'll be speaking to us internally, bringing this message home, that these people might be better fit, better able, better represented to serve you in this crazy mix of planet and be uh, uh, testimonies of our Messiah, Jesus. We'll thank you for it. In his name we pray, amen. Um, uh, when I was a boy, uh, I remember walking to synagogue. Uh, on a Saturday morning with my dad. I actually have a recollection of the first day my dad let go of my hand and I was able to scurry off ahead of him uh, walking by myself across the street and railroad tracks and so on. I must have been 19. No, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I remember walking with my father to shul, as we called it. And when we got to synagogue, um, the place was had maybe 18, 20 people there when we got there, most of whom were elderly men my age. A very few people were my dad's age. It was scars, scars and, and scares, and, and even less had their children with them. And, um, and I, I would just sit and watch. And Jewish people would sit and talking and laughing and giggling while a service was going on. And they were just talking in the back ignoring the service, and the service went on. Uh, if somebody missed a week, somebody else was there to show them a map at the synagogue. Oh, maybe you don't know how to get here. You know, laughing like that. And uh, joking and chiding. And the preliminary service was uh, old men standing up there with all of these woolen prayer shawls over their heads, davening. Somehow they knew when to stand and when to sit, and they knew what page to turn to and when to sing and when to read. Because uh, there nobody was there was a man up front leading the service, but he never said turn in your books to this or that, stand or sit. He just kind of stood up front and did what everybody else was doing, facing him. Um, that's called the preliminary service. The real service doesn't start until you have your minion. Now they had well over ten men, but the rabbi was looking for the ten men that are pious, righteous, kosher keeping. And when he had his ten that he wanted, he had been he was ensconced in this rather large chair or throne. The rabbi would come up to the pulpit, the bima, and the man who was leading the service look at him, nod, and disappear in the crowd. And then the rabbi would say, Turn in your door to page forty two. And that was the beginning of the opening exercises, the first prayer of the day. And the first prayer begins with Matovu Yaakov Yisrael. And it comes right out of the book of Numbers, chapter twenty four, where this very, very unusual person uh, writes how beautiful your tents, O Jacob, and your dwelling place, O Israel. And um, he's in a trance. He's filled with the Spirit of God. His eyes are open. and in a tra- It's a marvelous moment. And looking down, looking up, I don't understand it all, he looks at the tribes of Israel arranging their tents 
by number and by uh, by their, their assignments. And I wrote a book about this. If you want to see it, it's called Torah, Torah, Torah. And somewhere in there, you can see the nations arranged in, a, in, a, in, the, in their alignments. And what we learn is, is that if you do the arithmetic, that the tribes were arranged in a cross, and the cross around the tabernacle. And as they marched through the wilderness, they marched in that order of the cross. Now, Ezra, the chief of scribes coming out of Babylonian captivity, uh, filling the Spirit of God, wrote down the Jewish liturgy that we have today. From 600 years before Jesus to now, was it 2,000 years, 2,600 years, for 2,600 years, every Jewish service starts looking at the cross. That's amazing, amazing. They start every service in the Ashkenazi tradition looking at how beautiful your tents of Jacob and your dwelling place of Israel. Go tell them what they're talking about, what they're talking about. What I want to look at is this m remarkable man who wrote those words um, because he is uh, at one and the same time uh, one of the most amazing godly men and at the same time one of the most amazing ungodly men. Um, how many people do you know in the Jewish scriptures that have an account with the angel of the Lord? Uh, not many, not many. How many of them are filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God? I don't know how long it, you know, been, you know, I know that it's an old joke. I don't know how many people were in the class, but it certainly didn't take long to take attendance. Well, it is, it's a very small number. I know Moses had an account with the angel of the Lord, and Moses was filled with the Holy Spirit. I know uh, Balaam was filled with the Holy Spirit and also had an account with the angel of the Lord. And uh, in Second Peter chapter 2, I had you stop at verse um, uh, uh, 13, uh, verse 9, because I just didn't want to spend a, a, an inordinate amount of time reading the text, because I'm going to spend an inordinate time preaching on it. But, but the context is that there's going to be uh, liars, uh, false teachers coming into the church who are like the pernicious people of the past. And, and Balaam is one of them. Look, look, is a type of them. Uh, look at verse 15 of chapter 2. Who have forsaken the right way. And, and, that, and, and you want to exposit that. Obviously, they were on the right way. And they forsook the right way. And they had gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. The man wanted money. And was willing to realize that you make more money in unrighteousness than you make in righteousness. So he sold his soul for money. But was rebuked for his iniquity. And look where the rebuke comes from. The dumbass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Uh, these destitute uh, people, uh, wells without water, clouds are carried with tempest to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. The strongest sharpest language of condemnation is put upon this man Balaam. And Balaam is a typical, uh, not typical, but is a warning of whatever got a hold of him is going to get a hold of teachers and preachers who are going to be in our church age in the last days. Turn with me back to Numbers and take a look at this guy. Uh, I mentioned a prophecy of Numbers chapter 24, 
and uh, and I'll just spend a moment look, look at, his, at his introduction. Um, um, he said, Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel uh, abiding in their tents according to their tribes. And go, go take a look at the book. Book's free. Take it. A spirit of God came upon him. He took his parable. Balaam, the son of Beor, having had said, the man whose eyes are open has said, who has said, who heard the words of God, who saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. And then he reads, my, my, my tovu, how goodly are your tents, O Jacob, and your tabernacles, O Israel. Um, he has another parable here, uh, verse 15. Look at the way he introduces himself. He took his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, has said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, he has said, who heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High. Well, I tell you, wouldn't you like to have somebody introduce you like that? And here's our pastor, uh, whose eyes are open, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who heard the words of God. All right. I'm, I'm sold. What an introduction to his prophecy. Um, and knew the knowledge of the Most High, who saw the vision of the Almighty fall into a trance having his eyes open. And then he says, I see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. And shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Um, they, to the Jewish people, he gives a prophecy of the cross. To the world, he gives a testimony about the star in Beit Lechem that's going to come out of Judea, and that, that the Messiah is going to be born, and he's going to be born with the sign of a star. And I don't know where the wise men came from. Some say that uh, when Sennacherib took them away in, seven, in 722 BCE or so, that uh, at that juncture they were scattered all over the, uh, the world. And, but they had Balaam's prophecy with them be, before they left. And, and, and societies developed where they watched and waited. And they said, let's look to the east. When you see the star, then we're going to go get a, a caravan of people and we're going to go pay homage to the Jewish king and get restored uh, as a people with them. I don't know how it will happen. Daniel has references to Wiseman Magi as well. But somehow these caravans of people saw a star after hundreds of years of vigil, vigil watching and waiting and watching and waiting. And one day they saw the star, got together their caravans of stuff and went to um, their journey to Jerusalem, and then they got there, of course, where is he born king of the Jews? They told it was Beit Lechem, and the star that they saw in the east, it reappeared over the house where the child was, so if you have your wise men in the major scene, back them back about a hundred yards to scale. Uh, if they're in the living room, maybe they belong in the kitchen, I don't know, but, but just move them out because they're not at the manger. They appear when the child lay uh, months and months later. But Anyway, the, look at the great stuff we have every year. We, we talk about the wise men and the star and Bethlehem star. And, and, and where did it come from? It came from this prophet, this man filled with the Spirit of God. And yet this man... Is, is is rebuffed with the, the sharpest language uh, of because of his vileness and his disobedience. Let's take a look at Numbers chapter 22 and look at a little bit of his history. Um, in Numbers 22, um, we have a, a man named Balak. And that, that, that confuses even more because Balak... 
who was a very, very wealthy man, um, and um, he was um, from Moab, uh, and he was very much afraid because uh, that the that uh, the children of Israel, uh, Moab was very much afraid of people because they were many, and Moab was distressed. Verse three of chapter twenty-two because the children of Israel. Now, I guess he could have hired an army, got Hessians or other soldiers to work, fight for him, but then he considered the cause of the and and uh, all of the the ramifications of a battle and a war, and said, you know what? There's a cheaper way to go. I'll just hire this prophet and pay him to curse Israel. Now, I don't understand that. But apparently, he believed it was going to work, and maybe it has, and maybe Balaam has had a history of blessing accurately and cursing accurately. And whatever case, he's, 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 he's hired. And uh, Balaam comes to him and sends very, very notable persons and says, follow these guys, come back to my kingdom, and we can talk about the negotiations. Uh, Balaam refuses to go, and uh, verse 14, he won't come with us. So far, he's doing everything right. He won't do it. So Balaam said again, more and honorable persons. You can only imagine what that was. He certainly didn't send uh, street people. He sent an honorable crowd of dignitaries. Now he sends even more dignitaries, uh, higher, loftier, better dressed, but more influential. And he said, I will promote thee into very great honor. I will do whatever you ask and say unto me. Come therefore, I pray, and curse this people for me. Balaam answered and said unto Sir, uh, Balaam, If Balaam would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of Lord my God to do less or more. Sounds terrific. Now therefore I pray, tarry this night. Uh, a little bit of a, of, a, of a wavering. Didn't get that from God. But he says, tarry this night. They may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Apparently he knows better. But he's saying, well, you know, maybe, maybe I can get a, better, a special dispensation to curse him from God. And God came to Balaam at night and said, If the men come to call thee, if they come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto you, thou shalt do. Now it's very clear, if they come and call you, you can go with them. And Balaam rose up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the prince of Moab. Doesn't sound like it's a very, very big crime. Not like what we hear in Second Peter uh, chapter two. I mean, he was he was put in the, in the in the case of the worst criminals on on the earth. The angels who left the first estate. He's getting the sharpest language against him, and all we see so far is that he jumped the gun. God said, "When the phone rings, you can go." And he got up earlier in the morning, set his alarm clock, and left before they called. Not so terrible, it seems, but. Uh, Second Peter said that the Lord's anger was kindled against them, and verse twenty-two of chapter twenty-one, uh, chapter twenty-two, says the same thing. God's anger was kindled because He went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way of an adversary against him, and he was riding upon his donkey, and his two servants with him, and the donkey saw the angel standing in the way, sword drawn in his hand. He reminds you of Joshua chapter. Uh, six, you know, with the Jericho, with, are, you, are, you, are you on our side? Or, and neither, I'm, 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 on the, I'm the captain of the host of the Lord's army, standing there uh, with his all decked up in his military array. Uh, moving on down, 
uh, verse 27, the angel saw the Lord again and fell, and she fell down on the Balaam. Balaam's eye was kindled. He smote the ass with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass and said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? I, I, I don't understand that. I mean, I, I have a good relationship with a lot of pets and dogs. I sometimes I think I can talk to them mentally. I'm a little sick, I know. And I think I can summon them. I get them to sit down without telling them to sit. I get them to come over here without saying come. And then I can't get my children to listen to a word I say. But, 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 but uh, this angel, uh, now the donkey's talking to Balaam. <laughs> you think of an angel, if a donkey starts talking to you, you think you're like, whoa! No, doesn't seem to be upset by that at all. Uh, and, and Balaam said unto the donkey, Because you mocked me, I would there were a sword in my hand, and I would kill you. And the donkey said unto Balaam, Am I not thy ass, which has ridden ever since I was with thee unto this day? Was I ever a cousin to do so unto thee? And Balaam said, Now, do you have a King James Bible? Do you? Because in the King James Bible, Balaam says, nay. Now, I think that's so amazing. You know? <laughs> you know? Here we have, here we have a donkey talking King James English and, and a man talking. Now, I know. I'm not stupid. Nay isn't donkey. It's horse. But, but it's close enough. Um, by the way, do you have to be, do you have to uh, believe in King James Bible to be saved? Maybe not, but why take chances? And anyway, and the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and a sword drew in his hand. He bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why have you done smitten this donkey these three times? Behold, he sent thee out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned from me these three times, Unless you had turned for me, I would have killed you. Balaam, look at these words, said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, I didn't know, as soon as the way against me, I will return, I will do teshuva, I will repent. Um, at this stage, you have to say, what's the big problem with Balaam? What, what terrible thing did he do? Um, um, uh, I point out to you, I, I skipped the past, a, a verse or two for brevity. Um, Balaam has servants. He has servants. Now, I want you to think about that because how many servants do you have? Servants display wealth. Now, we know he had more than one servant. He had plural servants. Now, if he had two servants with him, is it possible that he had servants back at the house? Is it possible that the servants had a place to live? He provided for them housing. He provided for them uh, clothing. He provided for their meals. Uh, Balaam is a very, very wealthy man. And how did he gain his wealth? It doesn't say that he does. That he has crops. He doesn't say that he has livestock. Apparently, Balaam earned his keep by prophesying and cursing, by giving blessings and cursings as people called on him to do. And I suppose it's a legitimate way to make a living as long as you do what God tells you to do. Now, we know Micah 6, five says that Balaam says some good things. And that's okay. But we also know, if you continue to read, uh, that um, he 
he got to the place where he said, you know what? Balak's offer is just too good to resist. Now, I can't curse these people because God won't let me. But I know what I can do. I know these people. I know the plan of God well enough that I can get them to curse themselves through a horrific disobedience. And he calls on Balak and tells Balak, and we get this um, uh, from um, uh, Numbers 31.8. We see how he dies. He dies in his rebellion. But if you read Numbers 25 um, and, and Revelation 2 speaks of it, um, in Numbers 25, we have this, this horrific uh, cursing of the Jewish people. And uh, they, um, they, what happened was, and I, and I understand all the scenario. They were backed up against Moab. They, they had come to the wilderness, and now they came to a place of villages and homes and so on. The wives had been wandering for a long time, um, 38, 40 years, and they, all of their linens were in bags. They want to get out there, hang up their curtains and set up house. They want to get out of their suitcases and, and have a home. They want to sleep in their own beds instead of the cots of travel. And the wives were on the case of the men. And the men were then tempted by women from Moab who came out to them and seduced them and said, Listen, um, you don't have to be a Jew anymore. Who's holding you back? Why don't you become a Moabite? Take part in our religious sacraments. Eat our communion convert to our religion, move in and get out of the wilderness and be free. And some of them did it. Some of them did it. They said, you know what? I don't need this Jewish shtick. Who cares about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Who cares about this promised seed to my loins? I want to go home. I want to get out of the desert. And so they were easily provoked and they disobeyed. And they ended up in a curse, and thousands of them died. And, uh, but who brought it upon them, and where did it come from? It came from the wisdom, the genius, the brilliance of this spirit-filled man who had encountered the angel of the Lord. It came from Balaam. Turn with me to the book of Jude for a moment. Chapter 1. Don't you just love saying that? <laughs> Be honest. <laughs> Jude chapter 1. I love it. Uh, it's only one chapter, I know. Um, uh, I don't know where to jump in. There's so many, it, it, just to give you the idea, the angels which kept not their first estate, in verse 6, left their own habitation, preserved an everlasting change of the darkness and the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh and set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Look at the judgment here. Horrible words. In like manner, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise the minion, speak evil of dignities. I, I, I may be how disregarded the President of the United States is 
and um, in daylight. Yet Michael the archangel would contend with the devil. He disputed about the body of Moses. Dared not bring a rallying accusation, but rather said, the Lord rebuked thee. But these speak evil of those things they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. Wall unto them, for they go in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. And we see that happen. Numbers 31 8 uh, uh, talks about the death of, um, of Balaam. And. Um, uh, raging seas, own oh, shame, wandering stars, reserves the blackness of darkness. Look at these horrific things that said about Balaam. And all we saw so far is that, uh, you know, uh, limitedly, but Revelation chapter 2 kind of like brings it all home to us in verse 14. Talking to uh, the church at, at Pergamos, and uh, um, verse 13 uh, says, uh, I know thy works, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's throne is. And thou hast holdest fast my name, and not denied my faith, even in those things which end upon so my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them there, there them, that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balaam to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Um, so his crime was that he got the Jewish people to make an, uh, an ungodly alliance with Moab and uh, forsake their calling. Now, thank God, and God tells us in uh, Micah 6, 5, that, that he wouldn't allow it to continue, that he stopped it from happening. Joshua 24, 10, and Nehemiah 13, one deal with the fact that God turned it around and wouldn't allow it to continue. Jewish people have the seed of Messiah in them, and they have the, 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 the capacity to produce uh, Israel's king. And uh, Satan wants to stop that from happening, so he wants to keep the Jewish people from prospering. And so he can curse them, and if they can defile themselves, he can stop the kingdom of God from being impacted. The Bible says that these things are going to happen in the last days. That same kind of thinking. Balaam was a persuasive speaker. He was filled with the Spirit of God. He was a marvelous, marvelous man, and he was very successful at what he did. But he wanted to serve money rather than serve the Lord. And I'm not talking about any one particular movement, person, or organization. But a lot of individual people, organizations, and movements have inundated themselves onto Christendom these days. And they're so wonderful in their speaking. They're so full of their smiles. And they're so successful. And they're drawing us away from our attentive task. Our purpose is to bring Messiah Yeshua to the world. Our purpose is to present Jesus, the righteous one. Our purpose is to make disciples as we go through the world. And somehow along the line, our purpose becomes to be bigger, better, better dressed, bigger car, more successful. And I'm not pointing to any one person, but they captured our hearts. And they crept in unawares. And 
I think that it's a very big stumbling block in America today because we're materialistic, we're capitalistic, and we somehow we identify that with Christianity. Bigger is better. Better is better. Wealthier is successful is blessing. And that's not the gospel. And that's not the gospel. And yet we buy into it. Now, you may be thinking that I'm saying this about that one or this one. I'm not saying about that one or this one. I'm talking about the doctrine and the error of Balaam, who was filled with the Spirit of God, a charming man who went the right way and then was overcome by the temptation to go the wrong way. Um, it's, uh, it's a very difficult thing for a pastor, especially a young pastor. I'm not, point, I'm not trying to make embarrassing man who isn't making as much money as some of the fellows his age who went to business school, who, if he was a CPA, he'd be better off financially. He could take better care of his church, his children. And, and the temptation is going to be there all his life. I know. All my life, my kids wore bobos. Everybody else wore designer sneakers and designer shoes and designer this, designer that. And they, they were embarrassed to come to church not having a, uh, the right jacket, the right shirt, the right this, the right that. I know what that's like. I shopped in your missionary closet for my kids. What did you bring to the closet? The stuff you just bought in the store? The best stuff you had? I'm not complaining. I thank God for the opportunity to put clothes on my kids' back. But I know the temptation to do something for money. And, uh, and Christian, pray for your leaders. Pray for those in authority over you. Pray that Christians will not follow the voice of the people who are following the dollar bill. And um, that's the lesson. That's the lesson. Balaam is an unusual character. Filled with the Spirit of God. An encounter with the angel of the Lord. Uh, hard to understand how he could go that close to God. Gives the great prophecy of the cross in the wilderness. Talk about the star in Bethlehem. Marvelous. And then sell his people down a tube because of money, power, and prestige. Be careful who you serve. And be careful who you pay attention to. Great words don't make great men. It's possible. You could be a, he could be a great sermon here, great preaching. Don't follow the man. And guard those words. Watch what he's saying. Mark it up against scripture. Check it out with the pastors. Is it the truth of God? Because it's close. It's close. But don't follow them because they're big, powerful, and impressive. Father God, uh, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for their support over the years. And for whatever it was, I pray that you might uh, help them to uh, be blessed in this message. And to be more encouraged and enthusiastic about sharing the faith, making disciples as we go. Bless their hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.